Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I am very happy to be back in the studio today. Now, our fall break here at the college was a little longer this year. Uh, but you know what? I really needed the time off. I was able to attend uh, the, the Philadelphia Church of God's Fall Festival in Cranberry, Cranberry, Pennsylvania, excuse me, and then spent some time in the Allegheny Highlands. So that's the beautiful hills of Pennsylvania. Now, it was the peak season for the fall colors, and uh, my wife and I uh, really enjoyed driving around. It's, it's, uh, we forgot uh, how... Uh, steep those hills can be, or I really should say mountains. Uh, I was able to go back to my alma mater, the University of Pittsburgh. I had some pictures taken, uh, my wife and I, uh, together at there. We, we uh, uh, tracked down a student and say, hey, you know how to use cameras. Would you take our picture? And, and she did gratefully. I also, excuse me, I was also able to visit my hometown of Johnstown, and uh, also, I was able to go to the Flight 93 Federal Memorial near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Now, if you don't remember what that was, remember uh, on 9-11, there was uh, one of the hijacked airplanes turned around in, let's say it was Cleveland, Ohio, and was headed back to uh, the Capitol building, as they know now. And there were 40 passengers on that, plus there were five uh, terrorists. And uh, they had killed a few at the very beginning of the, f- of the flight, or I guess it, when they were turning around in Cleveland, they killed a few people up in the first class. But uh, one of the um, hijackers could not get on the flight. He was supposed to be back in the, like, uh, the, the back cabins of the airplane. And so the people that are in the back, they decided they were going to take over the plane. And I think uh, if you remember that, so uh, they actually did take over the plane, and then the pilot, who was a hijacker, actually ditched the plane into the field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And so there's a beautiful memorial there, and um, it was really quite moving, and uh, we were really happy to see it. It did bring back a lot of memories, and I remember when 9-11 happened, I remember sitting in my office here at the uh, college campus, and um, I remember seeing that second airplane hit the, one of the towers in um, in New York. So it was really kind of emotional to be there. But uh, we're back home. We're back, uh, back in the studio. And today what I want to do is I want to begin to talk and get into the details of Conrad's short story, Youth. Now, um, I... What I just gave it as my introduction was the reason why I ran a repeat for last week because I wasn't here. So, uh, but anyway, today what I really intend to do is focus on the character Marlowe. Now, it is interesting. Um, uh, I I think I told you a couple, maybe a couple programs ago, that I have a special volume of uh, Conrad 
And it's it's really it's that's its title is Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness and Selected Short Fiction. And so if you can find this this copy of the book, it's really it's gonna be helpful for you. Um, it was printed by Barnes and Noble and uh, they didn't do it too long ago. And so I found this on abebooks.com and I think you could find the same copy. But it does have youth and it also has Heart of Darkness in it. And we're going to be covering Heart of Darkness when we finish the one on youth. So you would be able to have you know both stories in one volume and it'd probably save you a little bit of money. But um, uh, youth is the story that Conrad first introduces the character Marlowe. And I think if you remember back to the summer when we started uh, to publicize the series, I said that we're going to be actually tracing the development of the character Marlowe, uh, with, uh, certainly starting with youth, and then we're going to be going on to Heart of Darkness, and then the final in this Conrad series will be Lord Jim. Now, it is interesting, in, in this, uh, this little volume where they have you know, several stories, he does speak about the the character Marlowe, and I mean this is his own author's note on on youth, and I do think it's kind of fascinating. And I thought that uh, you really, if you can find this volume, I think it would be really good for you. But uh, I'm I'm going to read to you part of this to get to get this started today, and as always, you know, I'm going to run out of time, so I'll have, probably have some more material for next program as well. But anyway, Conrad, in, in, in this little author's note, he really wants us to view Marlowe as a real person. And he wants us to view him as separate from himself. Now, of course, Joseph Conrad is dead and we can't really talk to him. But uh, uh, it, when, uh, maybe I could say it this way in a positive sense. Marlowe really does seem like a real person. Uh, and... Uh, uh, he does, uh, I think Conrad's genius makes him appear that he is separate from himself. But in some ways, I really don't buy that. And I do think Marlowe is autobiographical. And so, but the point is, he when he creates these stories about, uh, let's say, about Marlowe or around Marlowe, uh, it really is based on his own experience. And uh, I think he kind of admits that as we go through this. And, and I'm going to read from this for you, and you're, you're going to see what I'm saying. So this is on page three of that little combined uh, uh, book on you know the, the three stories that are in this little volume. He says, uh, but this story, and he's, he's talking about youth. He says, but that story marks the first appearance in the world of the man Marlowe, with whom my relations have grown very intimate in the course of years. And so, so here he's, he's telling us, well, uh, I met Marlowe. Uh, I've talked to Marlowe. And, uh, uh, you know, he's a, he's a central figure because uh, he's, he's got so many interesting things. Uh, and I just wanted to write about him. And so, so that's the way he kind of, uh, you know, starts this whole series in this little book off. And, um, uh, I, I think it's really, you know, kind of genius in a way. And I, I, I don't believe he's uh, like intentionally lying, but he just wants you to really pay attention to Marlowe. And of course, when we get into Heart of Darkness, we get into Lord Jim, we're going to see uh, Marlowe change and we're going to get to know Marlowe even more. But he goes on to say, he said, uh, the or- origins of that gentleman 
and this is parenthesis, nobody as far as I know had ever hinted that he was anything but that, you know, meaning he's a gentleman. And so, so uh, again, Marlowe is going to change, and I think you're going to find that as you stay tuned to this series. And it is, it's, a really, it's a little bit of a longer series, but I think it's really worth it. He said, his origins have been the subject of some literary speculation of, and I'm glad to say, a friendly nature. And so, so what he's saying is that, uh, you know, as, as they're producing, you know, this volume, now remember, Youth was first printed in a magazine. And so, you know, a lot of the authors at that time, they would print some of their short stories, you know, in magazines first. And so now, now they're introducing a new volume where they actually have made them books. And so, so that's what he's saying that, uh, you know, there has been some literary speculation about Marlowe because, well, the short story was out in magazine form before this. Now, <clears throat> he, he also, I think in this, this little introduction, he really tries to create some mystery about Marlowe. In other words, he wants us to get really interested in this character. And I, I really believe it is, it is kind of fascinating you know what? How he uh, how he develops this character, and uh, of of course, one of the things I think that uh, you know we ought to say is that remember I think we even covered uh, this a little bit about his biography. Is he really loved reading Shakespeare? He he got into Shakespeare. His father translated Shakespeare, and we know that that uh, actually William Shakespeare is probably one of the masters in terms of creating character development. And so, so I'm sure he's learned a lot. Um, but he goes on to say, in, in terms of creating this mystery about him, uh, he said, one would think that I am the proper person to throw a light on the matter. But in truth, I find that isn't so easy. It is pleasant to remember that nobody had changed him with fraudulent purposes or looked down on him as a charlatan. But apart from that, he was supposed to be all sorts of things, a clever screen, a mere device, a personator, a familiar spirit, or a whispering daemon. I myself have been suspected of a mediated plan for his capture. <laughs> and so so if you think about it, that's really funny. It's it's like honestly, I believe he's talking when he's when he's talking Marlowe, he's talking about himself. But but look at the mystery he's trying to create. He's saying, hey, there's been all this literary speculation about Marlowe. Where did he come from? Who is this man? And, of course, he says he's glad to say it's, well, all this has been kind of friendly. But but notice what he, he throws at us. He throws, well, is he just a clever screen for something? In other words, uh, you know, am, am I, is he a screen for me? In other words... He says, is he just a mere device or a mere literary device? Or notice, notice it says, or a personator or a familiar spirit. <laughs> so so is, is he like a, a, you know, a familiar spirit in me, the writer? And, you know, or is he a demon himself? He says, uh, uh, you know, so, but, but then he says, and this, I think it's really, uh, to me, it really is, is kind of uh, fun, is he said, yeah, I've been... I've been suspected of creating a plan to capture him. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, tie him up, put him in a prison cell, then talk to him, find out all about him. And so, so I, I think that, again, just, just leads us to, to his genius, the genius of Joseph Conrad. Now, he goes on in this, uh, this little introduction. I think this is so important that you, 
you get this mystery about Marlowe, that you get so fascinated by Marlowe that you can't wait to read The Youth, and then you can't wait to read Heart of Darkness, and then, of course, then we're going to get into Lord Jim. But, but he's saying, look, that is not so. He said, I don't have a plan to capture the guy. You know, he said, that's not so. I made no plans. He said, the man Marlowe and I came together in the casual manner of those health resort acquaintances which sometimes ripen into friendships. So now he, he's taking it to a new level. He said, look, I just want you to know I, I would never capture Marlowe because he's an acquaintance of mine that I met at a health resort. <laughs> So, so he's really building this, building this up for us. And uh, he said, "This is this is one meaning his friendship. This is one has ripened for all of his assertiveness in matters of opinion. He is not an intrusive person, and so so he's really trying to defend. Uh, and we might want to ask: Is he trying to defend Marlowe, or is he trying to defend Car- uh, Conrad? And so." Uh, But he goes on to say, he haunts my hours of solitude. When in silence, we lay our heads together in great comfort and harmony. But as we part at the end of a tale, I am never sure that it may not be for the last time. And so now now he, in some ways, Conrad stops playing with us. And he, he begins to say, hey, Conrad only lives in the tales that I create. And so, so uh, uh, you know, he, he uh, he's actually, you know, thinking about I think future writing. What's what's he going to write next about him? He says, "Yet I don't think that either of us would care much to survive the other." And so, so what he's saying is, uh, basically, and I'll read this in just a second. But he's saying, "Look, um, you know, they, they may not. One of them may not survive, and then would they both survive?" if one doesn't survive. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that's a a question he's asking there. It says, in his case, at any rate, his occupation would be gone and he would suffer from that extinction because I suspect him of some vanity. And so essentially what he's telling us, if I stop writing these sea stories about Marlowe, he's dead. (laughs) He's gone. And, uh, uh, but he's saying, you know, it's not he, he he doesn't want to keep living or Marlowe wants to keep living because of some vanity and he says I don't mean vanity in the Solomonian sense and essentially he's referring back to the book of Ecclesiastes where you know Solomon wrote you know about the preacher that all is vanity everything is vanity in this life and that there are some deeper aspects to youth and certainly when we get into heart of darkness and even into Lord Jim you're going to you're going to see that he said, of all my people, he's the one that has never been a vexation to my spirit, a most discreet and understanding man. And so, so he creates this mystery, and then he said, look, you know, this man is amazing. He has, he has understanding. And I think what he's saying there, he has understanding about life. And uh, uh, certainly when, uh, I, I, I don't know if it's really apparent at this point or in this, this story, Youth, but it certainly becomes very apparent in uh, in Heart of Darkness that Marlowe does have, you know, a deep understanding of human nature, and and uh, he tells the tales about people, but he also sees it in himself as well. He goes on to write. He said, even before appearing in the book form, Youth, 
was very well received. So in other words, what he's saying is before youth has been in this book form, it was very well received as a magazine, you know, short story. It lies on me to confess at last that, and this is a good place for, for it as another, that I have been all my life, all my two lives, the spoiled adopted child of Great Britain and even of the empire. So, so now he's getting a little more honest with us. He said, youth has been very well received. He's really happy about that. And uh, if you remember back to our beginning programs, he, he was Polish born. Uh, he, did, uh, he, he spoke Polish. Uh, his father taught him French. He spoke French. And English was his third language, and he did settle in Great Britain. And, you know, he was, a, and from what he says, says here, an adopted child of the empire. But then he goes on to say, for it was Australia that gave me my first command. And so, so he's talking now about himself. He's talking about, well, kind of indicating that yeah, he, he'll admit it, that he is Marlowe. He says, I break out into this declaration, not because of a lurking tendency to be a megalomania, but on the contrary, as a man who has no very, very notable illusions about himself. And so, in other words, he says, look, I'm really not vain about myself, but I have had experience. And every human being, uh, not every human being is a writer, but every human being has experience that could be written. And, and I think that's what he's trying to say here. He says, I follow the instincts of vainglory and humility natural to all mankind. For it can hardly be denied that it is not in their own deserts that men are most proud of, but rather of their prodigious luck, of their marvelous fortune, of that in their lives for which thanks and sacrifices must be offered on the altars of the inscrutable gods. So, so what he's saying is, look, my life as a writer you know, is really... Uh, you know, there's, he's been blessed with it. It's, it's, uh, it was. He, he, of course, he says here it's part of luck, and uh, sometime we'll have to talk more about Conrad and and his uh, beliefs about, uh, you, you know, why humanity is on the earth. You know, what's what's going on. You know, with the universe. He really did think about all of these things. But but he he does. Uh, I don't think he really necessarily was an atheist, but I don't think he really had a good concept of what of of God either. And so, uh, uh, but we'll be talking about that. And some of that, uh, there's so much analysis out there that it, in some ways, I don't know if I accept it all, and I hate to pass it on if I don't think it's true. But uh, but he goes on to say then at the bottom here about this. Um, book of, of youth or the story of youth. He says, one more remark may be added. Youth is a feat of memory. It is a record of experience, but that experience in its facts, in its inwardness, and in its outward coloring begins and ends in myself. And then he goes on to talk about heart of darkness. He says, heart of darkness is experience too, but it is experience pushed a little and only a very little beyond the actual facts of the case for the perfectly legitimate, I believe, purpose of bringing it home to the minds and bosoms of the readers. And so, so essentially, um, he's saying that youth is a feat of memory. But uh, we also know, and we'll talk about this probably in a future program, that he had a, an extensive diary uh, on, uh, when he was on the ship Palestine, which this story is based on, his, his, uh, uh, what happened to him with the Palestine and like I said, we'll be talking about that more as we go through this.
All right. I want to just uh, uh, you know move on here to to another point, and I, I do think uh, you know we need to know a little bit more about Marlowe and the character in the story. And uh, one thing we have to understand is Marlowe is both a narrator, but he's also a, a main character in the story, and so so he's he's going to be talking an awful lot about himself and his own experience. Now, one thing I think we ought to we ought to bring out is that that the he crafted the story short story youth as a frame narrative, and uh, I uh, wasn't able to listen to my two former programs, and I don't think I've talked about this before. Um, but I we also just finished with Heart of Darkness in my English literature class, so I know we talked about this in that class. So sometimes it gets a little fuzzy in my mind where we talked about it. So if, if I'm repeating myself, forgive me, but it's probably good that I do, even if I do. So, but this, it's, uh, I'm going to turn to the first page of Youth. I know in the book I have, um, you know, it's page seven, and I don't know what book you're reading. Hopefully you do have a book in our reading. Uh, but but here's how the very the the very first part of the book opens, and or not the book I should say, but really the short story. It says this could have occurred nowhere but in England, where men and sea interpenetrate, so to speak, the sea entering into the life of most men, and the men knowing something or everything about the sea in the way of amusement, of travel, or of breadwinning, and so so now this is. Uh, the first narrator. This is not Marlowe speaking. This is a first narrator, and uh, uh, but also I think you know you have to understand this is coming out of the mind of Conrad, and you can see how much he loved England. You can see how much he loved the sea, and uh, uh, he obviously saw flaws with the the empire, and there were flaws in the empire. There was a lot of good done by the the English empire, uh, but, but he also knew there were flaws. And notice he goes on to say, we were sitting around a mahogany table that reflected the bottle, the claret glasses, and our faces as we leaned on our elbows. There was a director of the companies, an accountant, a lawyer, Marlowe, and myself. The director had been a Conway boy. And so when he goes back over these characters, the director of companies was a Conway boy. And essentially, uh, he may have been a director of companies, but he was also a trained naval cadet. And that's what the phrase Conway Boy means. The Conway was a Liverpool-based training ship to train naval cadets. So all of these these men, even though they're an accountant or a lawyer, they were all seamen at one time. It said the accountant had served four years at sea, the lawyer a fine trusted crusted Tory high churchman. And so that just means uh, you know that this, uh, this lawyer was real educated and he was uh, you know from the Church of England. And it says, the best of old fellows, the soul of honor, had been chief officer in the P&O service in the good old days when mail boats were square-rigged, at least on two masts, and used to come down the China Sea before a fair monsoon with sun, stun sails and set a low aloft. And the, those are all the lower parts of the ship. He says, we, we all began life in the merchant service. Between the five of us, there was a strong bond of the sea and also the fellowship of the craft, which no amount of enthusiasm for yachting, cruising, and so on can give, since all, since one only is the amusement of life and the other is life itself. 
So he's saying, well, if you're out cruising or if you're out yachting, that's not life. But if you're in the merchant service, well, that is life itself. And so you can see that um, this first narrator is kind of setting up the story. Now, when you get to the very next paragraph, if you if you look at your your page very carefully, notice it's a quote. And so so the narrator starts out, you know, there's no quotes, but then it says, "Yes, I have seen a little of the eastern seas, but what I remember best is my first voyage there." So now Marlowe begins talking. And so so the the, the point is Marlowe is not only the narrator, uh, but Marlowe is also a character in the book because he's going to begin telling us about his experiences when he was very young as a sailor. And so it, it really is, um, let's say, it's a, it's a technique of writing that Conrad perfected. And uh, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, really, it's really quite fascinating. And so, so the, the other thing I think what, that, that I want to talk to you about Marlowe, he's is a, he's a great storyteller, and that's why he, well, Conrad uses him this way, and uh, you know he gets into a lot of details. Now, uh, I haven't read completely through the short story, and it's really not that long, but in Heart of Darkness, and I think we're going to see this again here in Youth, but uh, uh, every now and then the first narrator will slip back in, you know, uh, in Heart of Darkness. Sometimes uh, Marlowe stops takes a break and starts smoking, <laughs> you know, and then the narrator fills in the details. And so, so, but, but here, here you see now Marlowe is beginning to, you know, talk to us and he goes on to say, you fellows know that there are, there are those voyages that seemed ordered for the illustration of life that might stand for a symbol of existence. You fight, work, sweat, nearly kill yourself, sometimes do kill yourself trying to accomplish something and you can't, not from any fault of yours. You simply can do nothing, neither great nor little, not a thing in the world, not even marry an old maid or get a, a wretched 600-ton cargo of coal to its port of destination. And so we have to understand that, that Marlowe is now going to start talking about his youth. At the, when he's talking here now, he's about 40. He's in his 40s, and so he's going to start talking about his youth. Um, and he's saying uh, essentially what he's, he's going to begin talking about his first voyage. And this is the next paragraph down. And notice it's another quoted paragraph. It said, it was altogether a memorable affair. It was my first voyage to the east and my first voyage as a second mate. It was also my skipper's first command. You'll admit it was time. He was 60 of a day, a little man with broad, not very straight back, with bowed shoulders, and one leg more bandy, or it was kind of, he was bow-legged, I guess would be an easier way to say that, than the other. He had that queer twisted about appearance you see so often in men who work in the fields. And one thing I think we can say about Marlowe, and I think it's good to say this at this point, is that that the character Marlowe is, um, you know, he's really an observer of people. And look, if you just look at his descriptions of people, now we'll come back to this. And, uh, but, but also, I, I, I think we also want to see him, let's say at this point in the story, is he, he's, he's going to tell the story from the point of a youth, and it's like through youthful eyes. And so, so uh, 
you know, he he uh, he he really talks about youth and the the, the uh, kind of like the vibrancy of youth. I'm going to skip down. This is this is page eight, by the way. Again, in my book, it's, it'd probably be the second page if you have a different version or a different printing of it. And he said that, uh, uh, you know, he's talking about how he got on on this ship. He says, "What introduced me? Uh, what induced me?" Um, what induced him to accept me was a wonder. So he's talking about he he uh, he met the ship's captain. He said I had come out of a crack Australian clipper where I where I had been a third officer, and he seems to have prejudice against crack clippers as aristocratic and high toned. He said to me, "You know, this ship you will have to work," and I said, and I said I had to work in every ship I had ever been in, and so so you can almost see. Uh, you know his youth and the defensiveness of youth and you know how many older people have talked to the youth about well you could have done it this way and they'll come right back at you and he he says but i joined he, he said uh, i joined tomorrow the, the the captain had told him well look if you really want to if you really want to work and uh, you really want to go on this voyage and join tomorrow and he says i joined tomorrow it was 22 years ago and i was just 20 how time passes. It was one of the happiest days of my life. Fancy. Second mate for the first time. A really responsible officer. I wouldn't have thrown up my new billet or a wallet for a fortune. The mate looked me over carefully. He was an old chap, but out of another stamp. He had a Roman nose, a snow-white long beard, and his name was Mahon, but he insisted that he should be pronounced man. He was well-connected, yet there was something wrong with his luck, and he had never gone on. And so you see, he's, he's, he's observing everything. He's asked to the captain, he had been for years in the coasters, then in the Mediterranean, and last in the West Indian trade. He had never been around the Capes. He could just write a kind of sketchy hand and didn't care for writing at all. Both were thorough good seamen, of course, and between those two old chaps, I felt like a small boy between two grandfathers. So, so uh, as always happens to me, is I am now out of time for this program. But hopefully that will give you uh, the incentive to stick with me. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, we will continue our discussion of Joseph Conrad's most famous narrator, Marlowe. Now, you can buy youth at Amazon.com. You may also be able to find a good used copy of the book I'm using at abebooks.com. Now, you can also um, look for, your, for a copy of youth at your local bookstore, but you can also check your local library. But make sure you call ahead of time because so many libraries are closed right now. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can also follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.